we continue with our series uh, this morning on humility. Um, the first Sunday this month, we, we considered exposing pride, and then last week, we looked at understanding humility. Uh, this morning, I'd like us to, 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 to study together the example of Christ as a model of humility. And um, <clears throat> last week we looked at the characteristics of humility. Um, as a review, let me invite you to refresh your mind. What were some of the characteristics of humility? How will you know someone is growing in humility? Someone is humble. Yes, Felista. Yes, they have a sober assessment of themselves. Not a high view of themselves, not a low view of themselves, but a sober judgment of who they are. Yes. Sorry? Yes, they are joyful at the success of others. They are open to, to, to rebuke, they are open to correction, they are open to admonition. Because a humble person has, in a sense, lost his right, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> if, if, if you see yourself as nothing, um, whatever rebuke or correction is laid, laid upon you, it doesn't affect you in a negative way. Because you see yourself as nothing. You're small in your own eyes, isn't it? Another characteristic. Yes. Yes. They serve with no recognition. Uh, they, they, they do not serve for men to see them, isn't it? They're not like the Pharisees and the scribes who are doing things to be praised by men. But they work behind the scenes. Yes, they are acutely aware of their, their sinfulness, their wickedness. willing to give up that right, isn't it? To be, to be right. And, um, and they're willing to be wrong, isn't it? They're willing to be corrected. What was the first characteristics of humility? I think that's one of the antidotes for pride. When you have a greater view of who God is, a greater revelation of your sin, that's how you become humble, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> Humility loves grace. 
Um, and um, this morning we are going to look at Christ as our example of humility. Please turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. I'll read. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me read two quotes here, one by Robert Murray McShane. He says, Oh, for true and feigned humility, I know not how to be truly humble. I know I have cause to be humble, and yet I do not know one half of that cause. I know I am proud, and yet I do not know the half of my pride. End of quote. John Flavor, that they know God will be humble. They that know themselves cannot be humble. Brethren, often we think ourselves as better than others. Sometimes it's because we have money, sometimes because we have education or intelligence or class, or experience, or age, sometimes because of the work we do, there's a tendency for us to think we are better than someone else. We have the example of our Lord Jesus Christ here. Jesus Christ is greater than all humanity put together, yet we are told that he humbled himself. And often because we think we are better than others, we think that others should serve us. Because we think we are better than others, we think we are right in everything, so that others should admit that they are wrong. Because we think we are better than others, we criticize others for their faults. But we do not want them to criticize us for our faults. We think we have a great deal 
to teach others. But we don't realize that we have a lot to learn from them. We tend to see the faults and the immaturity in others, but we fail to see our own. We think that people should respect us, but we do not aim to respect others. Pride comes when we think that a different rule applies to us and a different set of rules applies to other people. After all, we think that we are better than them. We see ourselves better than others. And so we require others standards that they may not attain. And often we take the glory of God, we take glory for ourselves. We think that we are more righteous than others. We think that you are better than others. But a lowly person is one who sees God and others as better than them. A humble person does, does recognize that he does not understand all. He sees himself as a student on a journey. He's always learning. The reaction of the lowly is one of gratefulness, one of thankfulness. They doubt themselves. They distrust themselves. They know their own sinfulness, their own wickedness in their heart, and they are open to be challenged. But the proud is offended when someone tries to teach them something. But the humble is grateful when someone teaches them something. The passage that we come this morning is one of is a remarkable passage. You see, the key to cultivating humility in our lives is a clear understanding of who we are and an understanding of who God is. Understanding God in his strength and understanding ourselves in our weakness. And the best and the perfect example is who Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is one magnificent passage on the person of Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and maybe there was pride and prejudice in this church uh, because you read uh, in verse 3 do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than, uh, than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others. Paul begins to instruct and to give them imperatives from verse 1 to, to 4 and he goes on to give them the example in which they ought to imitate. He tells them to be humble, to think others more highly than yourself, to do nothing from selfish ambition, from empty glory, do nothing from empty vain glory. 
The idea here is to be puffed up and conceited with no reason to be. And so self-glory, pride here, is the self-exaltation on the foundation of nothing. There's nothing you're proud about. And Paul puts down humility as a thing that is important to them. Look out for the interests of others. You see, this is a call to radical humility. Put others before yourself. If this was a principle in the social media, that we put others before ourselves, how different will the social media be, isn't it? If this was the principle in politics, politicians putting others before themselves, this one will be different. Because we have our politicians putting their interests before everyone else. And Jesus Christ serves as a model and motivation for humility. And Paul goes on to tell them, this is how you ought to be humble. This is how you're going to mortify sin. Remember that Paul is in prison as he writes this letter to, to the Philippians. And he, he writes to them telling them about his present condition. And he comes to chapter 2 and he exhausts the church to let their man of life display the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's telling them to have their life adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. That their lives may be marked by self-denial. They may seek to honor and, and meet the needs of other people. And he's going to give them the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ put aside his interest so that he can serve the best interests of other people. And he's telling us to follow that example, to walk in his steps. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for us in order to meet our needs for salvation by receiving the wrath of God. We should follow his example. And the first thing I'd like us to see is his pre-incarnate exaltation. His pre-incarnate exaltation. Prior to Jesus Christ coming here on earth, prior to him being born of human flesh, he was highly exalted. He occupied a highly exalted place in heaven. Jesus Christ He says in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Before Jesus Christ came here on earth, he was intrinsically God in essence and in substance. So that the position of being equal with God is not something that Jesus Christ wanted to steal or claim. He did not think of it as robbery. He did not grasp it. So that even though he was God, he did not think he should rob that title of being God. Even though he shared equality with God, He was willing to give up his place. So if, if I say today I'm the president of this country, I'll be stealing the rights and the privileges that belong to the president of this country. 
because I'm not duly elected as the president of this country. But if I was in fact the president of this country, and I said I'm the president of Kenya, I will not be stealing any, any title. I will not be taking something that does not belong to me. And so equality with God rightly belongs to Jesus Christ. And so Christ was not stealing something that does not belong to him. All the privileges, all the honors Christ enjoyed, it was because he was God. So he was in a place of supreme authority. All creation was at his service. All creation was under his control. Whatever he purposed was infallibly carried out. And nothing could be thwarted. He was in the place of supreme authority. A place of supreme worship. All angels of God worshipped him continually. All praise and honor was given to him. He was in a place of supreme royalty. That he was the king of the universe. Nothing was denied to him. Whatever his heart desired, he had. No one could limit his choices. Whatever he wanted, he could have. There was no privilege that was denied to him. Christ was in a place of supreme comfort and peace. There was no anxiety. There was no fear. There's no doubt. There was no stress. No pain, no sickness, no injury, no difficulty, no tears. There was no deprivation of unmet needs. His existence was one of pleasure and comfort. Christ was in a place of supreme wealth. Every resource was at his disposal. There was nothing that was denied to him. There was nothing that was outside his reach. He was in a place of supreme liberty. Every resource was at his disposal. The heaven and the earth belonged to him. Nothing was denied to him. He was in a place of supreme fulfillment. He had love, fellowship, companionship with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit. He had every satisfaction, perfect relationship with God. He was in a perfect place. A place where it was impossible to improve upon. And Christ Jesus was willing to give up all this because of his love for those he was going to save. He willingly descended from the place of pre-incarnate exaltation to come to minister the needs of fallen and helpless men like us. And then secondly, let's look at self-denying humiliation. Self-denying humiliation. He was willing to give up all the glories, all the riches. Heaven is a perfect place. He was in a perfect comfort, perfect wealth. Everything was perfect. And he is God. And he was willing to give up the glories in heaven. But also to do the opposite. To suffer and to endure. He descended from a place of exaltation to a place to minister to sinful men like us. And so he did not think that his position of pre-incarnate exhaustion was something to cling onto. He did not think that equality of God with God was something to be grasped. He did not think that 
he should forcibly retain his status for himself. And so he did not think his equality of God something to take advantage of. And so he did not use his position for personal advantage. He was willing to lay aside so that others can enjoy those blessings that are in heaven. Verse 7 says, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he emptied himself of all that constituted the outward form of the existence of God. Let me explain this. When he came here on earth, he was God. But he relinquished his outward form of his existence. His glory, his purity. So he existed in the form of God, but he emptied himself of that external form. He gave up his supreme authority. He gave up his supreme worship, his supreme liberty, his supreme comfort. He gave up his supreme wealth, his supreme satisfaction. So for a person, let's say for instance, a very filthy, rich person in this country, to give up their Mercedes-Benz, their cars, so that they can walk and live without a car. For them to give up their expensive suit so that they can wear tattered clothes. For them to give up their mansion so that they can become homeless. For them to give up sumptuous meal to eat and to go hungry. That's, that's an illustration that cannot uh, obviously be compared to what Christ gave up on earth, or, or in heaven. But while on earth, he was fully God. He possessed all the attributes of deity. He made himself no reputation. It means that even though he was God, He gave up his external manifestation of who he was as God. Although he possessed deity, he gave up his external manifestation of deity so that he no longer had the reputation of being God. Though he was still God, he had right and access to the reputation of deity even though he had the ability to express those manifestations, he gave them up so that he can minister to the needs of others. One time he manifested his deity on the Mount of Transfiguration. Paul tells us here, he emptied himself, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Paul is not saying that Christ emptied himself of deity. Over him by Wesley, he emptied himself of all but love. That is not true. The idea is he's yielding himself to the Father. He's submitting himself to the Father. In his self-emptying, he's laying aside all the prerogatives of deity to become man. So the hymn says he emptied himself of all but love. Paul describes to us here, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So the emptying is Christ taking something upon himself. 
it is not is is not emptying his his godhead his deity is emptying his external manifestation of his godhead but he's still god he's fully god fully man and so it is it is as one uh, commentator said it is subtraction by addition and so the idea here is jesus voluntarily becomes a slave no, nobody in their right mind voluntarily becomes a slave god comes in human flesh as a slave as a man with no human rights no right to property no right to life no right to freedom if you're a believer you're a believer because there's one who emptied himself he left the glories of eternity with the father came here on earth not as a prince or a king but as a servant a slave Verse 6 says, who though he was in the form of man, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he doesn't become like man when he comes here on earth. He becomes man. He's a real man. Fully human. But with one exception, he was without sin. So the one who becomes man humbles himself he empties himself he voluntarily freely chose to be humiliated any question or comment before we we go on and so when he submitted Yeah, I think the doctrine of the person of Christ is a thing that is mysterious. Yet we we believe that which God has given us in His Word, so that um, uh, His Word tells us that He He is infinite because He is God. So Christ. Um, assumes poverty um, you have that text in in second corinthians that tells us that for our sake he became poor um, even though he was rich um, but then you see the way the way christ becomes poor is not by losing his riches as opposed to the way we become poor. Um, if I become poor, that means I don't have riches. But the, 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 the way Christ becomes poor is by assuming poverty upon himself while retaining his riches. It's not as though his riches are taken from him. And I think that's, that's the essence of humility. That the way you're telling us last week that even though I have my own rights, I am willing to not have them. Um, and that willingness is, is what we call humility. That willingness for Christ to assume 
uh, upon himself poverty, uh, to not count equality with God, I think to be grasped, is, is the essence of humility. That even though he is God, takes upon himself the form of a servant. So that he does not he does not lose his godness. Um, uh, he assumes upon himself uh, humanity. He takes the form of a servant and becomes a man. Yeah. That's very true, isn't it? That that even though he was fully God, even though he has he, he had all the power, all the glory, he could do anything, but he humbled himself, took upon human flesh uh, with its own limitations, isn't it? Uh, now when he came here on earth, he could feel pain, he could feel anger, he could feel pain, uh, he could feel loss and grief. Um, uh, but before that, he was fu- he was a perfect, a perfect being, um, and so he humbled himself, humbled himself to the point of death, death on the cross. He was willing to suffer in the hands of sinful men, even though he could um, overthrow them. He could call his uh, legions uh, of angels from heaven. Yet he submitted to be. He submitted to the. He submitted himself to the hands of uh, barbaric men um, to suffer in the hands of sinful men, so that he can draw salvation for other people. He says, verse seven. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippi was, was, was a Roman colony, and for Paul to talk to them about crucifixion, uh, it was something that uh, was despicable to them, because the Romans could not go through Crucifixion. They could not be crucified. Even if they, uh, they committed uh, capital offense, um, they, 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 uh, they will be beheaded, but they will not go through the cross because the cross was the most barbaric manner to kill someone. Someone could hang on the cross for hours, for days, in pain. You see, to die uh, by being beheaded is a nice, quick uh, uh, death, isn't it? There's no much pain. And so God humbled himself. He became man. He submitted to the will of God. Jesus Christ put his eternal interest before yours. So sorry, he put your interest before his eternal interest. And so how in the world can we say that I follow Jesus Christ while I put my selfish ambition before him? How can I say that I have the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I put my interest before the interest of others? 
Because if he's my Lord and Savior, it means that I've given up my right. I'm willing to follow him. I'm willing to do what he tells me. He is my Lord. I am his slave. He is my master. So that whatever he says, I'm willing to submit, isn't it? And if I'm willing to submit to him, then I'm willing to submit to others. Um, because he has commanded me to love others just as I love myself, isn't it? Do unto others what to like others to do unto you. And so, you see, pride is such a heinous sin before God. It is self-centeredness, to be self-occupied. How in the world will we have relationships with others if we are always putting ourselves before them? And so Christ Jesus is the perfect description of humility. He took upon himself the form of a servant. His activity is one of serving. He was a servant to others. Isaiah 42 verse 1, he says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, who will bring forth justice to the nations. He was a servant because he came to serve the needs of those he will save, isn't it? One time the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. What does Jesus tell them? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? It is a, yes, a servant, isn't it? The, the race in the Christian life is, is downward. We are all racing to become lowly, to become humble, to become servants. You see, we were the ones who needed redemption from the curse of the law. And he did it. We were the ones who needed reconciliation with God. And he did it. He did it. We needed regeneration of our fallen nature. And he achieved it. We were under the shackles of Satan. And he provided it. And he did all these things as a servant. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, he says. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Whatever need mankind had, Jesus Christ meets them. And so, taking upon himself all the limitations and the difficulties of fallen humanity, he could be tempted. He could struggle. He could have hunger and pain and sickness and death and disappointments. He faced what we all face as human beings, except one thing. He was without sin. He willingly entered into this condition that he might be merciful and gracious high priest so that he can make reconciliation for the sins of his people. So as a man, he's able to represent his people before God. Because he died in our place, he bore the wrath of God. He gave up all the external manifestation of his deed 
took upon himself the lowly place of a servant. You read the descriptions of Jesus Christ in the in the book of Revelation. John says that he has eyes like what? Like fire, isn't it? You, you read of his of his exalted place the one whom heaven cannot contain was contained in a womb of a woman was contained in human flesh he humbled himself placing himself under the authority of God he gave up his will in order to do the will of the father he humbled himself to the point of death and the kind of death that Jesus faced was not an ordinary death. It was the most painful, shameful kind of death. Death on the cross. This was something that was repugnant, as I've said, to the Philippians. No Roman could be subject to the penalty of crucifixion. It was one of the privileges they had as Roman citizens. The cross was a level of shame and humiliation. You were killed publicly. Everyone was seeing how you are dying. And the death was painful and slow. He bore the crucifixion, the rejection, the reviling of the people. He was mocked. He was abused. He was betrayed. He was denied by his own disciples. All this to provide salvation for sinners like us. And so, Jesus Christ is to us the perfect model of what humility is. He was not obligated to die. You do realize that you and I are obligated to die, isn't it? Because we have sinned. But he was not obligated to die. He chose to die nonetheless, even though it was not his prerogative to die. Remember he said, no man takes my life, but he lays it down, isn't it? This is a self-denying authority. The one who had supreme authority became an obedient servant. The one with supreme worship. The one people ought to worship and to magnify. He was despised and rejected by men. The one who had supreme authority was confined to a cross. He gave up his right. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The one who possessed supreme wealth see, Christ owns everything, isn't it? Yet when he, when he was on earth, he had no place to lay his head. He had no tomb to be buried. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. The one who enjoyed supreme fulfillment, supreme satisfaction, gave up. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You notice there the reincarnate exaltation. Though he was rich, notice there the self-humiliation, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is not necessarily speaking about material wealth. These are talking about spiritual blessings. Um, so he gave up his self-interest so that he can serve the self-interest of others. He put the needs of others, the advantage of others over his. He gave up his privilege, his comfort, so that we, we can have his blessings. What should our response be to all this? What should your inevitable response be to what Christ did in his humility? What should it cost you to do? Yes. Sorry? To be humble. That's very true. When, when we are proud, um, we are proud for nothing, isn't it? The Bible says it is vain glory. It is, it is empty glory. Uh, Paul asked the Corinthians, if you boast, why are you boasting as if you did not receive? Sindio? Like, whatever you're proud about, <laughs> it was freely given to you by God. Yet Jesus Christ had every reason to be proud because he owns everything. Yes, he did the opposite. He humbled himself. He took the place of a servant. And so when we are proud, we are proud over nothing. Over, over something that doesn't exist. Because what you have, you have received from God. It has been freely given to you by God. Whether it is your intelligence, your education, your money, your experience, your age. Whatever thing that you are proud about, it is nothing. Because it has been given to you by God freely. You did not manufacture it. You did not make it for yourself. God gave it to you. It should also cause us 
to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. Look at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he humbled himself, he has the right to rule over us. He is highly exalted above everyone. That should cause us to lay aside our rights, our comfort, our freedom, our assets, our positions for the good of others. What if Christ would have been selfish? He was in heaven. He had all this wealth and positions and prestige. The angels were singing and praising his name and would have decided not to come. How can I give up all that? But you see, he humbled himself as a servant. He gave up everything. Another question we should ask ourselves is if Christ has made me rich, rich with spiritual blessings, how can I make others rich, isn't it? If he has been gracious to me, how can I be gracious to others? If he has extended his unmerited favor, treated me not according to my sins, how should I treat others? If Christ gave up his comfort, how can I increase the comfort of others? How can I increase the spiritual blessings of others? His selflessness, brethren, is a mark of a true Christian. Humility is the hallmark of Christianity. And so we should be willing to give up our lives for the sake of others. We should be willing to give up our rights for the sake of others. Any question or comment before I pray? Christ in 
mind. So that when uh, Robert Murray Maxine says that for every one look we give to ourselves, we give ten glances of Christ. saying that we, will, we are only saved when we cling to Christ because it's not only that he saves us um, in his redemptive work, it's also that he keeps us in the salvation that he's given us. Yeah. He enables us to live uh, day after day and this example of humility is one of those things that shows that when we look to Christ, mm. He helps us even when we are tempted to be proud. I'd like to close with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us Christ. You were not obligated to send your Son to us, but you chose to do it so that sinners like us can receive all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. All that Christ has, has been given to us because he freely gave himself, taking the form of a man, taking the form of a servant. He died on the cross for our sake. And Lord, we praise your name. We worship you. We pray that Christ may be magnified that he may be highly exalted in this place because his name is above every other name. That all of us at the name of Jesus should bow down. That every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because of what he's done for us. We thank you, Father, and we give you praise. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.